Multiple time winner on tour will check in with us today to talk about the ongoing discussion of distance in the game. Is it good for the game of golf? And speaking of distance, there was plenty of it yesterday in round one at the Century Tournament of Champions. The wins were down and the scores went low. We will hear from all of the leaders. It's all coming up today in the Fairways of Life show. We are worldwide. Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world. The Fairways of Life show on air, online and around the world. Years and years from now, Mr. Palmer, what do you want the legacy of Arnold Palmer to be? Well, uh, I suppose just that I have made a contribution to the game to help make it a little better. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. What is going on, folks? Welcome to the program on this Friday. Delighted to have your company from wherever around the globe you are joining us today. We can see it. We know where you are both on the audio side and on the television side, digital radio, digital television. And it's amazing because, as we told you guys earlier in the week, when, when we came back on for the start of 2021 Live, and... When we came back on, as you guys know, Morning Drive doesn't exist in Golf Channel anymore. We now have a new show called Golf Today, uh, which I'm on early in the week. And then Golf Central is still on, uh, as it always has been. The times vary, and that depends somewhat upon the uh, schedule for the live golf that Golf Channel carries. But generally, the the fact that Golf Central is on at 4 p.m. in the afternoon is interesting, but it does re-air at 6 p.m. in its traditional time slot. But bottom line is morning drive doesn't exist anymore. And so that then instantly made us the only morning uh, digital radio and digital television that is available around the world. And it's been going crazy. Uh, The numbers are massive and we thank you for it. We thank you for the reaction that you guys are giving us. What a reaction it was yesterday at the Century Tournament of Champions. Players were able to go low the weather was perfect, and it cooperated. The first score posted on eight under par leading the way was Harris English. Let me give you some stats of what he did. He had an eagle, seven birdies, and one bogey in his card. He hit. They're wide. I get it, but 15 of 15 fairways and 15 of 18 greens and regulations and 26 putts. After the round, he had his most strokes gained total on the PGA Tour of any player since the beginning of the 2019-2020 season at plus 132.1 in that span. Justin Thomas is second in that span at 130.5. Justin Thomas is not, however, second on the leaderboard. He is tied with Harris English on the mark of eight under par after a 65. Let me give you some of the stats of JT, and you're going to be hearing from JT on the Fairways of Life show coming up here this morning. Eight birdies, no bogeys. He spoke to Todd Lewis afterwards about how happy he was about no bogeys on his card, particularly saving par on the 13th after finding some really deep vegetation. He hit 11 of 15 fairways, 16 of 18 greens in regulation. He had 28 putts. He had a 66 under par total at this event since 2017. Amazing. Best score to par at the event of any player in that span. The next best, Dustin Johnson at 65 under. He had a 31 on the front nine. His lowest front nine or it is the lowest front nine of any player in the field in round one. And 65 is the lowest opening round score at this event. And remember, this is a guy that's won there multiple times. The 65 ties his lowest round at this event. His final round 65 in 2019 was the other. And his 65 marks his fifth round of 65 or lower on the PGA Tour this season. He shot 66 or lower in the opening round in five of his last seven PGA Tour starts. Now, on this leaderboard, as we go from 
The two tied atop the leaderboard on eight under par. Robert Streb tied for third and six under starts a group that includes Sergio Garcia, Nick Taylor, Ryan Palmer, Sunjay M, Patrick Reed, and then tied for ninth, we drop to those in five under par. It is as follows, and you're going to hear from multiple players uh, from this grouping today as well. Adam Scott at five under. Patrick Cantlay at five under. Brendan Todd at five under par. He was playing alongside uh, Bryson DeChambeau. Tied for 12th at four under par. Martin Laird, Carlos Ortiz, Richie Wierenski, Mark Leishman, Joaquin Neiman, uh, Victor Hovland, Daniel Berger, Colin Morikawa. How about this grouping at four under? Xander Shoffley and Bryson DeChambeau. Now, after Bryson DeChambeau finished he addressed the media. He was talking about working with Kyle Berkshire, and you know that Kyle is one of the long drive champions. And what he was working with, because Kyle isn't a huge guy, but he's been able to get a lot of speed out of his golf swing. And while Bryson didn't want to talk about the exact nuggets or secrets, if you please, that Kyle revealed to him, he did speak in general terms, and some of the stuff that Bryson was talking about after his round yesterday left me scratching my head. How about you? Yeah, it, it took a little bit to get comfortable with the new speed that I have, um, albeit it's not much. It still is different. I'm m- moving a little differently, so golf swing's a little different, and got to learn how to how to perform with that. But I'm I'm excited that I was able to get around the golf course and hit it somewhat straight, and um, you know, be somewhat comfortable out there for the, the new golf swing I have. Yeah, I mean, I kind of went a little dark on social media for a while, just trying to understand, you know, what Kyle did, how he did it. I mean, he was a 117, 118 uh, mile per hour golf swing uh, in college. That's what he had. And he went, he's gone all the way up to 150 now. And so he's obviously done the right things and he's, he's done it completely naturally and without anything. And it, and I wanted to learn from him. And so I took it upon myself to ask him some questions and he was lucky enough to be out in Dallas and we spent you know, a few days together and we've been talking back and forth and he's been giving me tips on what to do and how to keep the speed out, out here on tour and what he thinks he's going to try and do when he gets out here or tries to get out here uh, and gives it a whirl. But, uh, you know, I, I spent my off season swinging my butt off <laughs> as hard as I can. Um, there were times where, you know, my, everything hurt in my body and, you know, just breaking down my whole nervous system and rebuilding it back up. So, and I like doing that. It's, it's fun testing limits of my body and seeing what I can and can't do. So, you know me, I'm always a tinker, and I love doing it. Um, I'm going to keep getting speed until I try and get around, you know, 205 to 210 in that range. Um, once I achieve those speeds and I'm comfortable with that, not trying to swing my butt off, it just happens naturally, uh, that's when I'll probably stop and go down a, the chipping rabbit hole. I'm going to try and understand my wedging and chipping a lot better. I still feel like there's some low-hanging fruit with a driver with speed that I can gain. I mean, it's fun. I mean, I, I had I had 7-iron into 18, albeit the wind died and I hit it a little short. I mean, I had 7-iron on 18. Um, that, that's a that's a big deal for me. I feel like, I, hit, I mean, I hit pitching wedge into 5, albeit I part it. Putting still matters. Um, these distances are allowing me to do things that I never thought were possible, which is cool. What does it add up to? Um, well, I know I'm about five to six miles an hour faster with the driver at least and that equates to uh i i mean it you know i was about one my top speed was around 134 135 now i'm around 140 and you know that creates ball speeds around 200 to over 200 and i mean shoot depending on the right situation it could be you know 40 50 yards if it's firm and downwind and all that but in a normal in normal conditions it's probably going to fly about 20 yards farther and you know, my irons are, are even far. I mean, I'm hitting my 8-iron 205 right now. So 
you know, it's, it's kind of nice to have that in the bag, right? I mean, I'm chipping, hitting a little half shot chip on, on eight, um, with my eight iron. So it's just a different ball game for me. And I got to learn how to, I got to learn how to manage it still. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau, he had five birdies and one bogey, eight of 15 fairways, 14 of 18 greens and regulations. He had 29 putts. He was talking about putts still being important. He led the field in round one in driving distance. I'm sure no great surprise there. 299.7 average measured third appearance at this event. He finished solo 26 and 18, solo seventh in 2019. Dom, when you said that you were cutting up the sound, the interview that I watched with him and Todd Lewis last night, he was talking about was it CNS? He was talking about something about his nervous system and pushing it to the edge and, and, and blacking out when he was working out. Did, did you catch any of that when you, when you were going through this interview? Because I know this is a different, a different, this was the pool interview. Yeah, I caught some of it. Um, there's only so much that we can fit in in the program every day. But what concerns me is, and I was talking to Matt about this before we came on the air, I am not an expert, and I kind of want to get an expert on the show to talk about this. Some of the stuff that he's talking about doing concerns me a little bit from a health standpoint. I'm not saying it's unhealthy. I'm saying I'd like to talk to someone about how healthy it is or isn't because he did. You're correct. He did talk about essentially lifting weights until he almost blacked out. Oh, I saw a tunnel and, oh, I saw this and it doesn't sound right to me. So I, I would love to get some of the guys he's working with on the show, which I'm going to try and do here in the next couple of weeks, and we can talk about it and try and get some answers to this because I think it's really cool that he's pushing the limits. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what those limits are and how it's going to impact the game. And I know we're going to have Phil Blackmire on later today, and he'll be talking a little bit about distance in golf, and, and it, it has a little bit pertains to what Bryson's trying to do here. But I don't know. I just get... I just I want to talk to an expert. This health side of things is concerning me. It's a lot of weight. It's really fast. I don't know. I well, don't know. at least it's it's <laughs> worth speaking to him. Whether it was grounds for concern or not, at least there are, there is merit to understanding, and we'll go down that road uh, as soon as we can find uh, those that are surrounding Bryce and get a better idea of what he's doing, why he's doing, it, and how he is doing the same. Now, to all of those same categories, how it works. Yeah, Phil Blackmar is going to talk to us today about a great blog that he wrote on distance. And it takes us back to a point in time I thought was fascinating. He actually goes back to 1960 uh, in talking about the development of the game. Equipment definitely can impact your distance. There's no question about that. But being properly fit for your equipment is a critical component in finding where that distance may actually lie. TourEdge.com wants you to be fit. They also want to produce equipment that's within reach of everyone, something that we all can afford. Uh, You can go to places like PGA Tour Superstore. You can go to TourEdge.com. You can find their product. You can find what's right for you. You can find what your game needs, whether it's a new driver and a little more distance or whether it's making more putts with like the wingman putter. TourEdge.com for that. Now, Patrick Cantlay is five under par. Patrick Cantlay is probably the name that you will hear more than any other that people who chronicle the game on a daily basis will tell you he is a superstar in waiting. I'm not taking anything away from him and the status that he has right now, but many believe that he is on the threshold of really great things. It starts with the fact, first of all, he's five under par in fairness to to start this event, which is a great number to be upon. He's tied for ninth. But it has to start with a self-belief, an understanding 
a confidence that you carry when you measure yourself against your competition. Here is Patrick Cantlay on that and more. Made a couple bogeys that weren't great. Otherwise, it would have been a really nice round and finished strong. So I'm in a good spot after the first round. Uh, my game feels really good, and uh, I like this place. So it uh, should be a nice weekend. Yeah, I felt like I played well uh, closing out um, the last year. And, uh, you know, I, I, my game feels really good. It feels like it's in a good spot, and i got a good program for getting ready for events right now. And so I'm really looking forward to this year, and uh, it's always nice to start off the year here in Maui. In a weird way, I think a lot of people out here are like that, and I don't think you get to the top of the game or get to be really successful without having a bit of that. Um, you know, the people that believe in themselves and think that they're the greatest ever usually will do better than the guys that think, oh, poor me, I'm not very good. So uh, I think it's hard to strike a balance between being real and, and telling yourself that you're the greatest in the world when you go to sleep at night. But uh, I think there's a lot of people out here that, that definitely run that line and maybe err on the side of I'm, I'm, I'm the best. But that's why they're out here. Do you think that's the majority opposed to the guys who are pretty talented who don't realize it or don't think that way? I think a majority of the guys that are that are really good and have success feel like that. And they always feel like, oh, I'm just like a couple breaks away from really beating up on everybody for an extended period of time. Um, and like I said, I don't think they could get to where they were without having a little bit of that. There's a little bit of, you know, you walk, wake up in the morning, drive to the course, you're excited about getting to the course, and you get on the range, and you're like, I'm going to beat everyone today, you know? And that's, that's part of being a good golfer. Fascinating. Uh, it, it, what I love about these conversations, and, and when you get to hear from players and mindset, is the fact that, I mean, as the name of the, the, this show implies, Fairways Life, I think that that carries outside of the ropes. I mean, I, to me, that's, that's part of life, this, this idea of, you have to believe in yourself even when no one else might believe in you. You have to have vision. You have to have conviction, but you also have to have the work ethic and, and be willing to dig it out. I, I think that for me, at least what I've seen, I mean, I'm, I'm not a trained broadcaster. I come from the golf side of the world, but from what I've seen on the, on the broadcast side is that the tripwire is when you get caught up in the belief that you deserve something because of some talent that you possess and I that's not my philosophy I just think that the ones who succeed are the ones who outwork everybody else if you have talent great obviously these players all have immense talent but you get to the top of the game and the top tier and you're talking about a percentage of a percentage and then it comes down to what separates you what made Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods different than than the rest certainly it was ball striking yeah I get it but it was the ability to do what you needed to do at the time you needed to do it now, one of those who has done that, but he is thirsting for more, is Adam Scott. He's already now a, a, a veteran campaigner. He's tied for ninth at five under par. And in these comments from Adam Scott, he got a bit reflective in talking about what he hasn't done and what he hopes to achieve. It was good. I mean, I was just most pleased with the way I hit the ball. It's, you know, I've, I, I was getting there at Houston and the Masters, but kind of was interrupted my practice around that time with COVID and then um, you know I've been hitting a lot of balls in a simulator so they look good for about 10 feet at least but it was nice probably the best ball striking round I've had in about five years so I feel like uh, that's something good to start the year out with. 
I just had nothing organized uh, coming back from COVID and that momentum was gone and I tried hard and I played okay, but okay gets average results out here. And, um, you know, I I came up with a good plan after the Masters of what I need to do to start here and, and to get through the next couple months. And I'll just tick that off each day and I think that'll leave me in a good place. Um, it, it's always been winning tournaments and, and uh, you know, I'd like to quickly get to 20 PGA Tour wins at this point. I think that'd be a nice little accomplishment uh, for me and obviously winning winning another major and trying to do a Brooks or a Jordan or a Rory and, and win a few really quick because <laughs> quick, quick is important for me at this point. Adam Scott is five under par. He's currently three shots shy of the lead. You will hear from the leaders coming up in the Fairways of Life show this morning. When we come back, you're also going to hear from someone who is a friend to the show, someone whose career and work I greatly respect. And he has taken the time, didn't have to do this, he has taken the time to write a blog. And he has many blog entries into it. His most recent one talked about the evolution of distance in the game. And I thought it was a fascinating education as to the difference between the game as we know it today, at the top tier in fairness, but it, but it, but it permeates down, and the old game. And the old game is relative to a frame of, say, the last 60 years and what the differences were to them and what some of the things that have been contributing to distance are. Really a fascinating perspective. And what I liked about it was the fact that he stepped away from an agenda. Normally, when, when there's a discussion about distance in the game, whoever the person is presenting the information, they either are against it or they're saying that nothing needs to be done and they build their narrative to to that agenda. That is not what I saw in what Phil Blackmar wrote. He spoke about how and why it happened. And then from there, you can have an educated discussion as to the merits one way or the other. I respected it tremendously. Let me ask you guys a question. Are you experiencing pain? Back pain, knee pain, hip pain, Wrists, shoulders, you're a golfer. I know that you guys are experiencing pain. Pain is an epidemic in America. There is over 100 million Americans that are dealing with chronic pain every single day. That is why we have aligned ourselves with BioFit360. BioFit360.com is their website. You can go on there and see all of their wonderful products. They have consulted with over 1,000 medical professionals to safely extract the CBD oil from the hemp plant. And then they make it available in every possible variety. They have a relief cream. It's a natural anti-inflammatory. It offers this crazy fast relief. And it will change the way you feel on the golf course. It will hopefully make you play better because you feel better. They have gummies. They have sleep aids. They have much more. If you are experiencing pain, you do not have to. Log on to BioFit360.com. And you can feel better. You can do better. You can be better. When we come back, we're going to be joined by a multi-time winner, on the PGA Tour in Phil Blackmore. It's Phil Blackmore. And still coming up in the show today, you're going to hear from the leaders at the Century Tournament of Champions. Stay with us. The Fairways of Life is worldwide.
Nestled amongst the hills of the Hoosier National Forest resides a classic American destination, the French Lick Resort. Experience the ultimate in golf at the Pete Dye Course at French Lick, voted number one course in Indiana on Golf Week's Best You Can Play for 10 years in a row. The Donald Ross Course at French Lick has been named Indiana's number two course in Golf Week's Best You Can Play rankings every year since 2011. Come experience old world opulence amid modern comfort served with Midwestern charm. Visit FrenchLick.com. TheGolfTravelGroup.com is a luxury golf tour operator that specializes in custom travel itineraries to Scotland, Ireland, England, Wales, Iceland, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and more. Guaranteed advanced tee times, incredible accommodations, airport meet and greet services, private guided tours, and private drivers, all in luxury vehicles. And they have a staff that's been doing it forever. TheGolfTravelGroup.com. The best golf experiences are the unique ones that combine breathtaking beauty, inspiring designs, and refined luxuries. Streamsong Resort, conveniently located in Central Florida, is unlike any golf experience you've ever had. Award-winning courses by Corin Crenshaw, Tom Doak, and Gil Hans will challenge and amaze in a dunescape you'll swear cannot exist in Florida. Awaken your senses then at their opulent spa or enjoy world-class bass fishing, archery, or clay shooting. The options are endless, and you can cap it all off with luscious and distinctive culinary choices to delight any palate. Visit StreamSongResort.com today to plan your golf trip. That's everything that you would want and nothing like you've ever experienced. I'm Tiger Woods, and I chose Bridgestone. I wanted to be with a company that I knew, and then on top of that, I made a superior product, so I did. I came back, and I started playing with the Bridgestone Tour BXS, and it's allowed me to maintain the spin and the feel I like around the greens, especially my short irons, but also have that penetrating flight through the wind. The aerodynamics have been phenomenal. I know the quality that Bridgestone has, R&D that's available to them, and what they were able to create that helped me win golf tournaments. Even though we're in Texas, we don't believe that bigger is always better. At Ben Hogan Golf, we believe in something called micromanufacturing, a concept Mr. Hogan taught us long ago. It's a belief that handcrafting golf clubs one at a time to your exacting specifications is the reason we make some of the best quality and best performing equipment in the world. And we don't believe in big prices. That's why we only sell directly to you at BenHoganGolf.com. Let me ask you a question. Are you in pain on the golf course? You know, pain management is a crisis in America. It affects over 100 million people and 35% of golfers, but now we can do something about it. BioFit 360 is a new company here to help us manage and alleviate that pain naturally. They've developed a formula that safely extracts CBD from the hemp plant and utilizes all of its healing properties to help us. They have a relief cream, they have gummies, they have sleep aids, and much more. It will change the way you feel on the golf course and in life. All you need to do is head to BioFit360.com. Feel better, do better, be better. Welcome back to the Fairways Life Show, folks. Pleasure to have your company as ever. Our Golf Channel coverage of the Century Tournament of Champions will kick off once again tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, scheduled to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And still coming up in the show today, you're going to hear from the leaders of the event right now. We have two tied atop the leaderboard in Harris English and Justin Thomas. They have a two-shot lead over players in six under par that include Robert Streb, Sergio Garcia, Nick Taylor, Ryan Palmer, Sunjay M, 
and Patrick Reed. You will hear from multiple of those names that I just listed. But the name you're going to hear from right now is a friend of the Fairways of Life show, someone who I mentioned I have great respect for, uh, not only for what he did as a player, which I'm going to describe to you in a second, but also what he's able to do in terms of the world of communication and giving us all insights into whether it's live coverage or whether it's in his blog that he's been writing, uh, that of someone who has been there and done that. Phil Blackmar has played in 526 tour events, 443 PGA and 83 champs events to be specific. He collected four wins, three of those on the PGA Tour, a couple of runner-ups, five third-place finishes, 37 top 10s, and 111 top 25s. He played in 19 major championships. He had a tie for six at the 97 PGA Championship. He was runner-up at the Players in 92. You've seen him. You've heard him many times as an analyst on Golf Channel, as I was mentioning, and it's always fun to catch up with him. Now, the reason that we did is because the blog that he wrote, as I was mentioning before the break, about distance caught Dom's eye. He sent it to me. I thought it was fascinating because it provides a groundwork, a historic groundwork of where we are, and then a discussion can can be had from there. Phil, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Matt. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Appreciate your time. So I guess the, the first question I would have for you, and, and to let the, the world know, it's, it's pblackmar.wordpress.com if you want to see the blog. Why did you start writing this blog? You know, it was actually, it was, it was uh, to be honest with you, it had more to do with just trying to get my name out there a little bit more. I wasn't playing anymore, and it was just, I wanted to stay current in the game, and, and I wanted to do something beyond what I was doing with the Golf Channel, which I've been blessed to have worked for them for eight years. But I just wanted to be involved in a way a little bit more and, and throw some ideas out there. And I don't, like you said, I don't want to sit there and say, well, this is the way you got to do it, that's the way you got to do it. I like to throw it out there and let people debate then, you know, just kind of start a debate, if you will. Writing, I think, is an interesting thing. For, there, to me, anyways, as an author, there's always an element of insecurity with it because when you <laughs> write, it, it's kind of a burying of the soul, right? And, and, and you hope that someone won't slash you to pieces because of something that you were honest about. Writing is different than speaking, I think. And it, did you have any reservations about that? Or maybe, maybe let me allow me, if I, if I may, Phil, to ask the question this way. Did you know that you were as good a writer as you are? You know, I, <laughs> at times I am. It's funny, you know, sometimes the words just don't come out. Sometimes they do. Hmm. And so if I time it just right, you know, that, uh, then it's pretty good. But I have to be real careful because it, you don't want people reading between the lines. You want to be real clear and concise with what you're trying to say. You don't want to leave anything out there for misinterpretation. Whereas if we're talking right now and you say something I don't agree with, I can say, wait a minute, no, that's not correct. But when you write it, it's down there for people to say, look what, look what Blackmar said. You know, that's BS. And so I think that's the biggest insecurity. Absolutely. Phil Blackmar, uh, has, as he had mentioned, has been with Golf Channel now for over eight years and filled a whole variety of different ro- roles after his, uh, pl- the bulk of his playing days concluded. Even to that point, Phil, here we are talking about a, a, about a, a blog to make the transition to the television side, to, to either have a microphone clipped to you or hold one in your hand while you're on the golf course, you do it with an ease. And, and you're, the way that you get in and the way that you get out and the way that you make your points, was that something that was an evolution for you? Was that a learned process? Or did it come to you as naturally as it seems when we're listening and watching? No, it was learned. You know when you got people talking in your ear while you're trying to talk, you know how hard that is, particularly mm-hmm. at first. 
But, uh, you know, I, I did some things. You heard Patrick Con Cantley talking about mindset, and you mentioned mindset. No, fishing, let's don't go there because I'll never stop talking about fishing. But um, it, <laughs> I worked really hard on mindset in my golf days, and I had a program that I did, and it, and it evolved. I was, was taught this actually at college at the University of Texas by a couple of Olympic swimmers. The art of relaxed concentration. The harder you concentrate for most people, the harder they try. And what I worked on was developing the skill of the harder you concentrate, the more you relax. It's an oxymoron for most. And I think that that has helped me as far as television is concerned. When I sense that I start to get tight, which you certainly do in TV, then automatically the things that I worked on in playing golf and competing they, they kind of kick in, and I just feel this relaxation come over me. So I think I've been very fortunate in that sense. Fascinating stuff from Phil Blackmar. I mean, for me personally, Phil, the, the way that I handled it, I guess, was my personal philosophy is that when I'm looking into a camera or I'm talking to a microphone, I just talk to one. You know, I don't worry about the, the size of the audience or the global audience or room around golf channel that's going into a half billion homes around the world and blah, blah, blah. I just figure if, if that camera is one person or that microphone is you talking to one person, we can talk to one person without, without being completely crushed or intimidated by, by the stage. But anyway, that, that, that's how I did it. I don't know whether that works for everybody or not, but it worked for me. Well, that, that certainly would help. I think that one of the hardest things about doing professional golf, live professional golf, is that you can't take anything back. And sometimes you're trying to help a show be interesting. You're trying to bring some color, some lightness to a show. And that's a fine line because you don't want to go too far with it. And you might start to say something. Wait a minute. I can't take that back. You've got to be very careful. Boy, especially nowadays, too, to underscore what you were saying. Now, what you were writing, however, and, and we've been talking about, was this fascinating blog on distance. And it's the first time, Phil, that I can... I, that I can recall anybody giving kind of a, a historical reference to, to the evolution of modern technology. And you went back to 1960. I guess the first question I would have for you then is, why did you choose that year? How was that the demarcation line? I know it's not a hard line, but it's a start. Why did you pick that year? You know, I was, to be honest, I was pretty nervous when I wrote this because I'm not an expert in all these different fields that I mentioned. And I did a little bit of research with it, but, but I was like, you know, is somebody going to blow me out of the water? I said, no, that was 1940. No, that was 1980. I don't really know. But I did ask our superintendent of my course here in Corpus Christi. I said, you know, when do you get automatic irrigation? Because I think that's what really started a lot of it. You know, we used to have to, you know, screw in those sprinklers going down the fairways. A lot of, yeah. a lot of golf courses had you know, just one line of sprinklers down the center of the fairway. And I think that when they went to automatic irrigation, that was a huge thing because now all of a sudden you could water at night, you could water at will. And that opened the door for expanding irrigation outside the fairway lines, uh, even into the rough. And, and I think that was a really big deal. And so that was around the early 60s, he thought something like that. And with that, I started thinking, well, you know, that's about the same time, I think, probably when, when equipment started coming available where people, you know, architects and, and those building the golf courses could start moving more dirt. And if you can water more ground and move more dirt, nothing starts to get a little bit bigger. And, and then I thought, well, you know, agronomically, they started learning a lot more about grasses in the 60s and 70s. And so that certainly helped quite a bit. You could have this coverage with great grass. And I thought, well, you know, air travel started getting really coming into normalcy in the United States in the 60s and early 70s. It became 
I think I read where 25% of the population had flown by 19, by the mid or late 60s. And so that really brought about the idea of resort golf courses. And I thought I looked up Doral, and Doral was built in 1962. So, okay, so that's a good time frame there. And so with resorts, you know, the architects want a golf course that really catches the eye of people. That is, and, and if you can water now all the way out, wall-to-wall watering, now you've got the capability of creating a much bigger field than you would have had before. It's a lot prettier, more luscious, and more room for everybody to play golf. And so it just kind of kept evolving. There was more to it than that, but it kept evolving from there. So that, that's why I came up with that time frame in the 1960s. Fascinating. I was smiling as you were talking about it because it harkened back to the days when you know, players would aim at the rough because the rough wouldn't be far enough along to hit that irrigation line. It would dry out in the summer and you can get the ball to bound down more distance along the way. Uh, you also touched on some other areas of development and evolution, one of them being uh, in, in the training of players. Now, I realize that goes beyond the 60s, 70s, perhaps, but it's still an important step uh, in this discussion. And the science that teachers started to bring to fore. Well, prior, I think, prior to the late 80s anyway, you know, some of the biggest voices in instruction were players. And they talked a lot about strategy and they talked a lot about swing and all these different things. And then we had video come out. And a lot of the things that great players talk about, you know, feel is the one thing that you've got to have when you go play golf. You've got to feel good. You've got to have a sensation in your hands and the shot. You've got to visualize it. You've got to feel it. You've got to remember it. And so players describe what they feel. Well, video comes along and all of a sudden, hey, wait a minute, what you've been describing, you think you do, isn't necessarily what you do. And that opened the door for an entirely different type of instructor to where the, in the instruction business with the booming golf instruction business boomed as well. And now all of a sudden we started bringing science into the instruction into the equation. And, and with that, I think the game started being taught more about a swing. The search for the perfect swing then started. And you had all sorts of different models that people came up with with the perfect swing. That being the answer to happiness in golf. If you can swing it right, you're going to have fun. And so it tilted from a feel-oriented teaching to more of a science-oriented teaching from more of a shot-making perspective to more of a swing perspective. And what I like to say is it went from the shot creating the swing, where you make adjustments to play shots, to now all of a sudden the swing creates the shot. And I think that fits a larger scale of game. That fits a bigger game. It fit right in. It's interesting because you hear players often today talk about dialing in one aspect of their game or another, and they're literally talking about spin rates and, and, and windows and trajectories and things that they couldn't even measure with that degree to the nth degree uh, in years past. Uh, so, Phil, you were, you literally played through the transition of equipment. The days of persimmon or, or laminates to moving into the, the Pittsburgh persimmon and the, the metal heads and then into the introduction of titanium and the advancement and moving from steel shafts to graphite shafts, et cetera. It, 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 while, while you chronicled this evolution in your blog, I'm curious as well for your personal experience, what was that transition like going from step to step? Well, it really changed the game for me quite a bit. I was, you know, I could swing it quite hard. I, it, it, 
I had a 44 inch wooden headed steel shafted driver that in, in college I was measured at maxing out at 131 with that club. Now you go to a lighter club and two inches longer today, you know, I'm up there probably pretty close to Bryson. I finished second in the national long drive one year and, and fifth the next. So I could whack it. But back then it was more about you needed to hit some fairways. And, and, and so everything I did, my swing never felt good, man. It always felt terrible. And, and I, <laughs> I always really struggled hitting fairways. It was awful. So I was always finding a way to play when things didn't feel good. Well, a lot of that involved curve. I used curve to create a feeling of, of a mindset, back to Patrick Cantlay, a mindset to try to play a shot with commitment rather than play a shot with fear. And I did that with curve and trajectory. And as the metal wood started coming out and the ball started curving a little bit less and the grooves changed, the game became less about curve. It became more about high shots, straight shots like it is now. Now it's more about trajectory control, getting it up in the air, high loft, low, low spin, you know, high launch, low spin. So I did play through that. Um, I think that today's equipment would have really fit my game when I was young, but I had a little bit of a hard time adjusting to it going through it, to be honest. Fascinating. And, and to the points of, of your particular swing, I think most people know this. I mean, uh, Phil Blackmore's nickname, we just call him Big. Uh, you're, what, you are, are you 6'7"? Six, six, yeah, I used to be almost 6'8". I claim 6'7". I okay, think uh, so, gravity's winning out now. I'm shrinking a little. <laughs> Not much, I can tell you that. <laughs> so, But did that contribute to this, this, just to follow up on it, because you mentioned it, did that contribute to your sense that you felt like the, the swing was never quite where you wanted it? Because that was, that was a lot of room there for something to feel off. I think that's a big part of it. You know, you're starting to see bigger, taller players in the game now than you ever did before. I think the equipment aids that in some respect. You've got bigger heads now and you've got lighter shafts and that allows that. I think instruction knows more about the swing. Um, I know some things about the golf swing now. I wish I had known when I was younger. Uh, Back then, it was just kind of grab a straw here out of here. I hope that you find a needle in the haystack. So I think in today's game, it would have helped me. But yeah, back then, being tall was not an asset at all. You know, it's interesting because at the con- where you talk about, I believe, you, if I'm not mistaken, in the blog, uh, Phil Blackbar, you phrased it as old golf. Am I using the correct term? Yep. All right. Absolutely. Narrower. Uh, it's old, spotty. small. I think I use old and small both. Okay. But at the conclusion of the blog, you basically said you miss old golf, small golf. Uh, and what I'm trying to get at is ultimately the, to ascertain your perspective on distance in the game today overall, is it an attribute to the game or is it a danger to the game? I think that we have to be careful here and that the game is more about uh, just professional golf. We're talking about the entire game of golf. For the entire game of golf, equipment advancements have been tremendous for the average player. I mean, golf's a hard game. Let's face it, it's, it's tough. And you got a bigger head this, this, that really benefits people being able to hit the sweet spot and get the ball to go somewhere. you got more loft. you got all these you get shavs and balls. More distance and equipment is great for the average player. At a tour level, the PGA Tour is extremely popular right now. And I think that you kind of have to separate the two. I'm not saying bifurcation. Don't run out there and say that. But, but I think that if you're going to make rules for the game, the tour is in the business of presenting a show. The best, most talented players in the world are going to show you some stuff that will fascinate you. I think we have to be careful to change the entire game based upon the show that the PGA Tour puts on. And, um, and that's, that's a challenge for USGA and the RNAs to try to weigh the balance between those two. I think the PGA Tour needs to keep an eye on their product. They need to keep an eye 
on their audiences, talking to their audiences, or are they still finding the game interesting? If the guys are getting longer and longer, I got to tell you, I'm finding what Bryson DeChambeau is doing is extremely interesting. I mean, it's, you know, it may not take it to a good place, but it's really fun to watch. So you have to differentiate between the two, Matt. I think to, um, and I don't know the answer. I enjoy the small old game. The problem I have for me personally is that there's no longer a ball that you can play the small old game with. You know, the balls are designed for the metal woods today. They're designed to launch the ball high with little spin. There's not a ball out there anymore that you can hit that really spins quite a bit, that you can play the shots you used to be able to play. And that's, I wish somebody would make a ball, so at least you would have a choice. Fascinating stuff from Phil Blackmar. His blog is pblackmar.wordpress.com. And you can see exactly what he wrote, and you can weigh in on it yourself if you want to. So uh, something to think about. And the reason why he is causing such thought and such discussion is because he provides us with a balanced picture so that you can consider what direction you feel is best. And I hope, Phil, that whatever direction is best for the game, that you continue to be one of the voices that weigh in on it because you did a great job with it. Certainly you did a great job with us today. We thank you as ever very much for your time. Absolutely. Really enjoyed it. Look forward to it. Really enjoy your show, too. All the best. Thank you very much, Phil. Have a good day. All right, so that was Phil Blackmar joining us, folks. You can go to the PGA Tour Superstore at any time. Now, we're talking about whether you go online at PGATourSuperstore.com or if you want to go safely into any of their stores. When you want to, you can. PGATourSuperstore.com has everything that you could possibly want in the game. Whatever you're looking for, they guarantee that they have it. If you're in the store, make sure that you get custom fit. Go to one of their bays, work with one of their experts, and try as many clubs as you want in whatever category that you're trying to fill, driver or irons, even if it's a wedge or putter. Get custom fit. It's a big investment of money. It's a big investment of emotion, and you want it to bring you the most possible joy with the performance that you will get. You can get it at PGA Tour Superstore. PGATourSuperstore.com is a website. When we come back, you're going to hear from some huge names that are in contention and atop the leaderboard at the Century Tournament of Champions. We are Fairways of Life Worldwide. If I told you legends like Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross have designed and inspired more than 10 breathtaking courses and they're all in one place, would you believe me? Where is this special place? How far do I have to travel for this golfing nirvana? The answer could both surprise and delight you. It's right around the corner in the heartland of the country. It's Boyne Golf in Northern Michigan. It's a destination so special, so unique, that you'll think you're playing golf on a work of art along the cliffs of the Monterey Peninsula or the raw sweeping landscapes of Scotland. From elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled golf vacation experience. Log on to BoyneGolf.com and see why they're at the heart of America's summer golf capital. It's likely that the world's greatest Lynx golf courses will be the reason you will want to plan a trip to Ireland. And with over 400 courses to choose from, you're sure to find whatever you seek. But Ireland is about even more than great golf. In this ancient land, the past works hand in hand with the present. From cultural sites to castle ruins. Stay in a country B&B or a luxury hotel and spa. Enjoy inspiring local culinary choices, a pint and music at a cosy pub. But most of all, enjoy the warmth and hospitality of the Irish people who will make you feel that you haven't travelled from home but have returned to it. Visit Ireland.com to get started. Come to where history meets luxury at the family-friendly French Lick Springs Hotel where there's something for everyone. 
from Kids Fest to shopping, bowling, golf, and other outdoor activities. Or at the West Baden Springs Hotel, you can wrap yourself in old world elegance, visit our luxurious spa, indulge in an afternoon tea, a historic tour, and multiple sophisticated dining options. Then, finish your day with a cozy carriage ride before turning in for sweet dreams. Only this isn't a dream. Visit FrenchLick.com to plan your vacation today. What's your bucket list destination? Where have you always wanted to go? What's the number one thing that holds people back from doing that? It's fear of logistics. I don't know where to stay. I don't know how to get tea times. I don't know where to go. I don't know who should take me there. Well, I'll tell you who knows the answer to all those questions. TheGolfTravelGroup.com. That's why the Fairways of Life show has aligned ourselves with these experts. And is there some place you want to go, like the Open or a President's Cup or a Ryder Cup? They can take care of that as well. What is your golf bucket list? Where do you want to go? Do it with TheGolfTravelGroup.com. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the all-new Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try the new Tour B. The Tour Ball. Reinvented. Let's face it, there's no better feeling than getting new golf gear. And where you get your golf gear matters. PJ Tour Superstore is America's number one golf retailer. Whatever you're looking for, they have it. And you can get custom fit. You can shop online or safely in their stores. At the PJ Tour Superstore, you'll always find golf's biggest brands and all the latest equipment right at your fingertips. If you need it or want it, they've got it. Log on to PGATourSuperstore.com to upgrade your game today. Welcome back to the Fairways of Life show on this Friday. I hope you guys have had a great week, and I hope the weekend before you is also fantastic. Harris English and Justin Thomas are leading the way at the Century Tournament of Champions, both on the mark of eight under par after rounds of 65. Two shots behind them tied for third. The grouping of six under par includes Robert Streb, Nick Taylor, Ryan Palmer, Sunjay M., and Patrick Reed, and Sergio Garcia. So let's start with Patrick Reed. He had an eagle. He had four birdies, 14 of 15 fairways, 14 of 18 greens in regulations in 27 putts. Patrick Reed has a new coach in David Ledberger. He had worked with him before, but now it is official. And he was telling Todd Lewis from Golf Channel that it's about understanding. Why did that go left? Why did that go right? And as he put it, it doesn't put so much pressure on the rest of his game. Let's hear what Patrick Reed had to say after his opening round. It's kind of one of those days that I feel like from tee to green, it was relatively pretty solid. Hit some good tee shots. I feel like uh, left some putts out there. And you know, a couple of the uh, kind of my bread and butter, which is those kind of softy, kind of short irons and wedges, I didn't really hit them that close. And, uh, you know, on top of it, I had some of them that, uh, you know, I actually missed the green on. And, you know, with that being said, it's just kind of stuff like that that I need to tidy up. And, uh, you know, the good thing is I know what it is and know how close it is. Just need to go probably hit a couple balls here just to, uh, you know, get a certain feel down and should be good to go. I think it's, it's up there. Um, even like a day like today, I feel, felt like I left a lot out there, but I feel really good how the game is. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me, especially after the switch and everything, is that now I know 
what causes what. So when I start seeing certain patterns, I start hitting certain shots, I know what caused that so I know what to fix. And I think that's the biggest thing is it, it's impossible to play perfect golf year in, year out, week in and week out. And that being said, you need to be able to adjust and adapt. And I feel like now knowing what the swing's supposed to do, what the feels are supposed to be, I'm able to do that, you know, not just round to round, but literally in the middle of rounds. Sergio Garcia finished on six under par, and while that in and of itself is impressive, when you consider the fact that he had two bogeys in his first three holes, it underscores how much he was able to bear down and finish with a really good mark, only two shots off the lead. Here's Sergio's reflections after round one. Not quite. Uh, it definitely, uh, the course is definitely playing a lot slower than, than it used to uh, last time I played here, uh, the few years I played here. But uh, I think it's a combination of the rain and, and you know, how the course is. It's, it's a lot greener, a lot uh, lusher than, than it used to be. But, um, yeah, but the essence of the course is still still the same. And uh, obviously, a course that uh, gives you room, but you still have to hit... Uh, the shots are the right, in the right spots, and uh, and if you don't, then uh, it becomes it becomes tricky. Uh, I played, yeah, I played social golf with uh, with a lot of my friends in in Austin, and uh, you know we weren't able to. We we're gonna go to Europe, see my parents, uh, so they could so they could meet the little the little guy. And unfortunately, we weren't able to do that for a couple of reasons. Obviously, because we got COVID, but also because. Because everything got tougher when we were going to go there, and, and they were starting to lock down uh, countries again, and, and Spain was one of them. So, um, so that was a little bit disappointing. But uh, yeah, we were able to. I was able to uh, to practice a little bit, uh, have some some nice some nice rounds, some nice fun rounds, and uh, you know try to try to get here as as sharp as possible. The leaderboard is led by two players in Harris English and Justin Thomas, and Justin Thomas has known success at this event. What's interesting about Justin Thomas and the run that he is on right now is when you talk to a player and they kind of seem, and I'm being respectful about this, but kind of seem like, yeah, the round was okay. You shot an eight under par 65. You did what you had to do, and talking about getting the most out of their game, that was kind of, it seemed to me, the mindset of Justin Thomas when he reflected on how he did it. It was a good day. It wasn't anything crazy. I didn't do anything great. I didn't do anything bad. Um, just, I mean, we didn't have, you know, very much wind and, and soft soft greens makes this course uh, very scoreable. I think the scores show that. But I uh, made a couple putts when I, I felt like I needed to, but it was just a solid opening round. Considering there wasn't as much wind out there, was your strategy to attack maybe more than normal? Not really. I mean, it seems like as even last year it blew so much and it took took low score. So I think the fairways are big enough and the greens are kind of bowl-like enough to where you can still get it close to the hole even when it is blowing pretty hard. So uh, you really just have to go out and execute. You played quite a bit in the fall. Of course, you had major championships, but you also played Mexico. You played the PNC Championship with your dad. Did that keep the rust away heading into this first round, you think? It could have. Yeah, that was kind of the thinking in Mexico a little bit. And, and obviously the father-son was um, was many things, but it, fun was the main thing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think I, I just remember from previous year playing um, the President's Cup in December. It was nice because I felt like I didn't waste the month of December like I have in the right. past. I mean, you know, there's obviously time to 
you know, enjoy the time off, be with your family, you know, maybe not eat quite as well and, and, and all that, but it's, uh, it's not what the entire month is for. And I, I've made that mistake in the past and hopefully I'll never do it again. There are plenty of highlights from your round today from a birdie perspective, but I want to go to 13. How important was that par save after that wayward tee shot to keep the momentum going? Yeah, I think I owe a big thank you to AJ for stepping on my ball and finding that <laughs> for me. Um, yeah, it just was, it was a bad tee shot. I, I tried to hit it low and I just leaned on it a little bit and that's what kind of caused the squirt right but those par saves can definitely be uh, a little bit more momentum boost than a birdie uh, sometimes and I, I'm a big big fan of bogey free rounds so that putt was uh, was nice to keep it that way. <laughs> and final thing uh, as we know we don't hand out trophies on Thursday but you come out and you get that opening round score that you did that 65 how much more optimism does that give you and freedom now heading into at least tomorrow? Um I guess a little bit. I mean, it, that's the thing about this course is you you need to have a, a solid first round. I mean, it, it, that's that's for sure. I think this is a tough place to, to play away from behind. You know, if you go shoot even or one under on the first round, it's hard to, you know, post consecutive rounds of seven, eight, nine under uh, no matter where you play. But it is nice to do that. I understand that there's there's a lot of golf and a lot of really good players within, you know, four or five of the lead and, and, um, and 54 holes left. So I just need to go out and do – a little bit more of what I did today and hopefully a little better um, in some, some areas. Fascinating. When you look at what Justin Thomas has done since he won this event last year, I'm just going to give you a few of his, his top finishes. And this is, this is off. If you, if you go on to the official World Golf Ranking site and you look up any player, it's going to give you a grid which shows you finishes and shows you the impact that it has in their world ranking. He's currently third. So a win here last year, Waste Management Phoenix Open, a tie for third. Now, interestingly enough, in between those high performances, he has had missed cuts, which when we're talking to Phil Blackmar about it earlier, it's to, to some extent, it's a bit of a reflection of the modern player. We have players like Justin Thomas that clearly have distinguished themselves as amongst the best of the best, if by no other virtue than being ranked third in the world right now and tipping up to number one over the course of last year as well. But in between that, you have a fall off in performance. And maybe we should look at that as something that's natural given the height of and peak of performance that you need to be at in order to win against the very best in the world. But the waste management, or the, I beg your pardon, at the World Golf Championships, Mexico Championship, tie for six, Charles Schwab Challenge, which was an important event for a whole variety of different reasons as we got restarted, tie for 10th. RBC Heritage, tie for eighth. Travelers, okay, miscut. Bounced right back at the Workday Charity Open with that second-place finish. Remember the battle that he had with Colin Morikawa down the stretch. And remember it in the context of where we all were emotionally at that point with golf coming back and the value of the entertainment that that provided, not to mention a reflection of the quality of golf that we saw. At the World Golf Championships FedEx St. Jude Invitational, victory assured. Then he went through a little bit of a stretch that, by his standard now, in fairness, mediocrity. PGA Championship tied for 32nd. Northern Trust tied for 49th. BMW Championship tied for 25th. At the Tour Championship, though, seemed to kick it back into a gear. Tied for 3rd. U.S. Open tied for 8th. The CJ Cup in this year, remember it was at Shadow Creek in Las Vegas, tied for 12th. The Zozo Championship at Sherwood tied for 2nd. The Masters, he finished 4th. And then at Mayakoba, he tied for 12th. And here he is atop another leaderboard, at least after round one. And again, the thing that impressed me so much was you just shot eight under par. 
and you come off the course and you kind of shrug your shoulders and go, you know, a lot of things went well. That par at 13 was great when he hit it so deep into the vegetation and AJ actually stepped on the ball. That's how they found it because you could not see it. But he was able to save par there and he talked about the significance of doing the same during the course of a round and posted a good score thus. Yet he was kind of like, you know, there's a lot more that I, I should be doing and should be doing better. That impressed me so much. Not only was his his, as they call it in Scotland, the weight of his shots, meaning that he, that they, that he was judging them extremely well. What he was doing with, with a high lofted club in hand, particularly when it came to chipping and pitching, I thought was incredibly impressive. And his putting is getting better and better all the time. So looking forward to see what Justin Thomas does during the course of this week, as well as everybody else in that field. You can't see it on Golf Channel. It starts at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, tonight and it will run deep into prime time. In fact, the air times over the course of the weekend, it's split on Saturday and Sunday and it's mostly because of all of the other sports that are circling in, including notably the NFL. If you look at Saturday's coverage from four to six, it's on NBC, but the coverage finishes on Golf Channel from six to eight. On Sunday, once again, four to six on NBC and then six until conclusion scheduled on Golf Channel after that. Thank you so much for your company today. Thanks once again to Phil uh, Blackmar for joining us. It was amazing to get his insights. uh, And I love the fact that he gave us a historical reference and provided us with some experience that he had playing through a a very distinctive evolution in the technology of the game as the game went from persimmon to metal. It then evolved into, when we're talking about drivers, titanium as well. Again, have a great Friday. We'll be back with you again if uh, we're spared on Monday to talk about everything that took place in the world of golf. Until then, goodbye for now.